Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Dorothy Kim, and I will be reading today from the book of 1 Samuel, um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Alcana, the son of Jeroam, son of Elahu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So went on year by year. As often she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give to him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, um, one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church, and um, I, I just wanted to uh, give you a heads up, um, just in case some of you may have heard or or um, you, you get a certain email from our denomination. Now, Kelly and I, my wife and I, have served the denomination in many capacities. I've served on permanent committees and boards and all kind of things at a national and denominational level. And uh, just recently, um, um, I was um, appointed and called to serve as the associate coordinator of African-American ministries for our denomination. Um, just so you know, this doesn't mean uh, I'm not going to be the pastor at Christ Central, okay? That's the first thing I want to put out there. But it does mean 
that what has gone on at Christ Central Church um, in, in the life of this congregation, um, God is using to share, right? For us to serve not just our church, but other churches in um, the ministry that has gone on here. So this is obviously just as much about what God has done in the life of this church in your lives as much as what he's calling me to do to serve. And so um, you, I don't think you're going to actually feel any difference in what I do. I'm just going to hone some of what I already do in travel and speaking engagements that I already do. Um, and those sort of will go in line or congruent with um, serving as the associate coordinator for African-American ministries. But I'm not the only one. Um, your first lady, Kelly Brown, was also um, called um, and um, appointed as the coordinator of logistics and the director of the LDR conference for the African-American ministries. Um, so, uh, so yeah, just want you to know what's going on. So if you see things flying around here and there, what's our pastor doing? He leaving? Nope. Hope not. If y'all will keep me, I'll keep with y'all. How about that? Uh, so just wanted to put that out there. Um, and the way the announcement went, there was a letter sent out before I was even able to tell you guys, but I had talked to the session about it already, the elders. So just so you know what's going on, just so you know what all that means. Um, well, today we begin a new sermon series um, through the historical books of First and Second Samuel. And I say we because you're going to walk through with us. I urge you, therefore, as your pastor, right, to read these books, right? Like read through these chapters as a family, as individuals. It's, it's worth seeing the whole story. Um, and I say we because uh, Pastor Amari and Pastor Josh, on days I'm not preaching or the way we do the schedule, they'll be joining in and taking chapters of, and survey in different parts out of this book as we go through. And it could take us through the summer and into the fall, but we, we're, we're going to really um, look at this book. Um, now, First and Second Samuel, in large part, chronicles the rise and life of King David. So aptly entitled, the series is entitled The Crown. Um, this will be a survey, survey of the events leading up to and then the life of King David. Now, these historical books are necessary to our growth, right? Necessary to our understanding or better understanding of our relationship with a God who is sovereign and ultimately wears the crown as the Lord and King of all things. And it all starts with a woman's suffering and suffrage, right? Suffrage as in one woman's protest, prayer, and plea. Driven by her pain, anxiety, and sorrow. And that's used by God to begin to turn a whole kingdom of his people back towards him. One woman, Hannah, whom from our reading, one woman, who is barren, as the Bible says, which means 
She has yet to have children. But her story of suffrage, pain-driven petition and prayer uh, shows us two things I want us to come away with from this passage. First, that God's kingdom comes through our problems. God's kingdom comes through our brokenness, if you will. And secondly, that our problems, our brokenness, find hope through God's kingdom. Our problems, our brokenness, find hope through God's kingdom. It's about 1100 BC, and the nation of Israel was at the end of a period that, of their history called the Age of the Judges. And so these judges, as you can read about in the book of Judges, were military, civil, and spiritual leaders all in one, but they were not always the holiest leaders. And the country mirrored them, right? Uh, Israel was at its lowest, one of its lowest periods as far as its connection and vibrancy with God as their Lord. The book of Judges says it best, and it repeats this same phrase throughout. It says, in those days, Israel had... No king. Everyone just did what they saw fit. And if you read what's behind that statement, Israel didn't have the Lord as their king. So they just did what they wanted and what would help them get by if they were in distress. But the Lord was coming for his people. Coming not only for their problems as a people, but his kingdom was going to come, as we see in Anna's life, through their problems. Now, I cannot tell you, okay, as a dude, how hard it must be to be a woman, right? Or a woman in today's culture, much less what it must have been for a woman in ancient West Asia, or what we call the Middle East. And I can't even begin to imagine how difficult it must have been to be a woman in ancient West Asian culture who couldn't have children. You were already potentially mistreated and, and overlooked and used as some kind of what, what I saw when I studied as, as a human breeder for the purposes of the family farm or business or the military might and population of a nation. But nothing could have been much worse than a woman who was without children or the ability to have children. Verse 10, when Hannah goes up to the temple to pray during their family yearly pilgrimage, they took pilgrimage to, to, to pray and sacrifice, right? And, and it says every year when they would go up uh, and to give sacrifice to the Lord, it says that she was in verse 10, if you read with me, that she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. That she was so empty and spent in, in pleading to the Lord at the temple that verse 12 says this. If I can find it. And she continued praying before the Lord. And Eli, the priest at that time, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. The Bible is telling us that Hannah was so racked with pain and anxiety. 
She came to pray outside of the normal hours of prayer at the temple. That she came outside of the worship service time. She even used prayers outside, because they would use formal prayers, outside of the formal prayers that you would give. Literally, the Bible is saying, her heart was overflowing, was broken open, and spilling out with grief and distress before the Lord. You ever catch yourself talking? Maybe that's just me. I'm crazy, right? or praying or processing when there's a lot of anxiety or fear or suffering going on. So I'm kind of verbal. I don't know if y'all knew that. So I do it all the time, right? Where I'm just in my family. What are you saying, dad? What's wrong with you? I'm crazy, right? But sometimes when you're like, uh, stuff going on in your mind, you're all manic and crazy, right? Sometimes my heart is praying, right? My soul is speaking over my mind and body's ability to actually control and shut it down. This is what's going on with Hannah, right? Stuff is so emotionally messed up. She's so hurt that she's just praying. She can't help it. And then to add to her personal grief between her and her husband's expectations as a wife to give him kids. And then the other one between her and God's, and, and it was called a blessing to have a children, children, right? So that was a woman's blessing. Between her and God's blessing to have children, she had to deal with the constant outside shame and attack of the second wife, Penina, right? I might call her Penny here and there, Right? But Elkanah probably married, and polygamy was not that common, even though it seems when we see a couple of stories in the Bible, not that commonly practiced, but Elkanah probably made Penny his second wife because Hannah had failed to give him children thus far. This other wife was a living reminder of Hannah's failure. In fact, why, this is real interesting. In fact, while Hannah's name means gracious or grace given, right? Penina's name means prolific. And Penny let Hannah know not only how prolific she was at childbearing, but how very unprolific Hannah was at having children. Verse 6 says this, and her rival, they called her a rival, right? The other woman, right, in the marriage used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept. And would not eat. Right in the middle. But, but actually, as I look at this, verse 6 says something that is bigger, though easily missed in the middle of Hannah's misery, shame, and bullying. Look again at verse 6. Look, look at what it says. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, right? Right in the middle 
of this story, of, of this terrible, grievous, it says, experience, right in the middle of Hannah's suffering, the Lord was at work. Y'all see that? Now, granted, not in the way Hannah would have liked, not in the way she would have planned for her life, or was glad to go through. She wasn't happy to be going through this. But the Bible is letting us know that her inability to have children up to this point was not primarily about some particular sin on Hannah's part. Though being barren, you know, when they talk about it in the Bible as a result of, a, of living in a fallen and sinful world, any kind of barrenness, right? This is just her story and her example. This is not as much about not ha- being able to have children as it is about having a broken situation in her life that isn't working out right. But this was not, the Bible is saying, primarily about some kind of particular sin on Hannah's part, right? But, but it was not, and it wasn't because she was not as good or did worse things than a prolific penny, but that God had closed her womb. But for what? I believe the Bible is teaching that God closed her womb to open up her life to bring forth a kingdom promise bigger than her problem that was more important, more in order, more heavenly dynamic, if you will, than all the hell that Hannah may have been going through. See, Hannah's barrenness was not just about Hannah, though it was happening to her and in her life, and caused her to feel much pain and grief and anxiety and injury. This was about God's plan and God's promise to save his people from living without and apart from his grace and glory. You see, God used Hannah's situation as a representative of a spiritually barren nation how his people were suffering the pains of being so close, yet so far away from God's love for them, and who, like Hannah, were very religious and very spiritual and had prayers and had the temple at their disposal, who were basically going through the routine, right, and motions, but who were barren of God's grace and power in their life. See, God's people wanted to use and prove they were good like Penina, right, seeking to be prolific in their own power and self-righteousness. But the Lord wanted them to become like Hannah, gracious, meaning guess what? Broken and knowing his grace. God was using her to show and bring this awakening truth to his people. And all of this was happening. All of this big stuff God was planning and a promise was coming through the problems, right? It wasn't just healing her problems. It was coming through the brokenness and through the hopelessness of Hannah. Here's the point. Our suffering, especially as God's people, It's about God's kingdom coming 
and doing something bigger than and through our immediate and sometimes long-standing and painful problem. Your broken life makes you a prime candidate, believe it or not, and your burdens a real place that the Lord can not only do bigger than our problems, but best for our problems. It is interesting how everything falls apart in giving Hannah what she wants and even backfires sometimes. I mean, look at verse 2 and 3 with me. It says, he, right, had two wives. That's Alcana. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year after year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. This was a faithful church family, y'all. They go to big church, right, in Shiloh, taking the three or four day journey every year to remember and thank and pray to the Lord for their sins. This, what people weren't doing like a lot of that back then. They are the righteous ones. And Hannah, we saw, is a prayer before the Lord. And guess what? Year after year, still the same problem. Doesn't go away right away. And then when they go that, do go, look at what happens, continuing after verse 3 and verse 4 through 8. On the day that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And we've read her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And this went on verse 7, year after year, Right? And then in verse 8, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her after she would not eat and she would cry, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And he says this, am I not more to you than 10 sons? So Elkanah gives Hannah a double portion of the Thanksgiving food. So with happened back then is they would take the sacrifice and they'd put the sacrifice on the altar and then some meat would be left after some, the first would go to the priest and then some would be left for them to eat as a family before the Lord. So Elkanah would take that and give her a double portion of that. He gives her a double portion as if, guess what he's saying? As if you have two mouths to feed, right? Hannah, I'm going to pretend, like not pretend, but I'm going to give you hope in giving you two portions. Or, or that as he expresses that he still loves her very much in giving her two portions and that God does too. But guess what it does? It just brings attention to the fact that she needs a double from Elkanah because as Penny was sure to point out, she was a zero of a mother and wife. Not enough. And then as sweet as he's trying to be, he, Elkanah makes it about himself. You know, he needs to go to some marriage counseling or something, right? Marriage counseling on loving a grieving wife. He tells her, I know you can't have kids, but you got me, girl. Right? <laughs> Ain't I enough? Right? Like, I, I am your love, right? Why are you crying? Get over it. You got me. And I'm giving you a double portion of the meat. 
You know what that does? Come on, people who've been through enough marriage counseling, who gets the pressure? She does, right? You shouldn't be crying. Get over your sorrow. And if you keep being sad, it just shows I'm not enough, right? Look how he does it. If that is not enough, the church at that time was corrupt, and we'll soon find out how corrupt. We can't know, but these were some gangster priests at the time. I'm telling you, you'll see next week. And Eli the priest, when he sees the woman praying, he thinks what? Why are you drunk? He is already, as a priest, assuming that, 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 that God no longer works in that way. Like, he can't recognize and expect sincerity around the priesthood, not only for others, but for himself. What do we see? All these human-sided attempts at fixing her problem, her grief, her sorrow her relationship with the Lord have fallen short. They have not performed the way she wanted them to. And I know y'all experiencing very similar things in broken places in your life. Or expected them to at her demand and even the devotion she pours in them. All her closest and what should be trusted relationships, they try hard, are in place, but they aren't enough to Get down to that sorrow. Because God closed her womb. Because God was seeking to give a solution for her problem in a way that best, right? Our ability and our solutions. But the real problem is that God's best is not always, y'all, what we believe or feel as being best for us or better for us. Pain and suffering and brokenness and dissatisfaction and feeling ineffective as a friend or a spouse or a neighbor to help someone feel better or feeling like whatever anyone does won't make us better, right? Or or feeling like our religious devotion that that God supposedly gave us. We got prayer and churches and, and pastors is not giving what we want when and how we want it, year after year, letting us down. Left feeling all in the desert and spiritually dry after all that we have done and tried and given. How could God be giving his best for anyone, right? If he would only fix the problem. If he would only fix where I hurt right now. If he would only, he's God. I mean, I have the same prayers y'all have. God, if you would only take this away. Why are you making us go through this? Why are you making me do it? If you would fix it, that would be best, Lord. If he would only fix the problem that we have worked the hardest and most prolifically in, that would be the best way to do it, wouldn't it? Think if you were a pastor or a friend to Hannah. I don't know what God's doing, Hannah. We, we would fall in too. But like Hannah, God's best for her problem and his kingdom promises through her wasn't going to hap- was going to happen according to her namesake. Hear me. It was going to happen by grace, not by works. 
not by what was humanly possible all the time or by things working the way we have supposed and determined they should, right? I'm sorry, we all enter life with this script of how things should go. Wait, I did. And then other people are telling you what the script is. You are a woman in the ancient Middle East. you supposed to have children. And then you're holy. You're a good person. You pray. Why shouldn't you have kids? Why isn't Penny the one, the mean one, the one not having kids? Because it's by grace, not self-righteousness. We have a time and space that is reasonable to us, don't we? Until it passes. <laughs> no, God wanted to show through Hannah and to Hannah that his promise was better than hers. That his love was better than his people's at that time. That his religious devotion was better than their failed one. That he would be better, especially in a time when people were going around trying to hustle their own hope up by having his promise, his salvation, his saving and rescue of them was going to come bigger and better. Come his way, by his hand, by his power, by his grace, by complete and unmerited, humanly impossible to earn God's love and favor intervention into their broken world and lives. And what better and clearer story and testimony and means like Hannah than through our own brokenness, our own tears. From a broken, broken heart, from the way we are being hurt or disappointing, Man, some of us are still in the eyes of somebody else living a very disappointing life, right? Or disappointed by someone, all which because of grace, because of God's grace at work in that broken place, like a crack in the sidewalk, y'all, or a tilled up and disturbed soil or an empty spot in the field or, or flooded place. What the Lord is saying is that in that brokenness, something will blossom. My grace will blossom. It will add up and end up in a hear me. Though through and in you and me, God-sized kingdom event. I am talking about a divine God and king of the universe manifestation in the lives of sinful and limited and problem-laden human beings in a way that we would have no choice but to see and determine and say, the Lord did this. This was God's work. This was by his grace. This was by his mercy. This was by his power that I am who I am, that I pray the way I pray, that I serve the way I serve, that I am who I am in Christ. It was because he took a broken thing, right? And he brought his kingdom through it in a way that makes me do things I wouldn't do for his glory. That makes you say, he alone wears the crown. And I know this is not a popular message, you know what? Because you want God to be in cooperation with you. Right? Like, like this is a company. Like you're a shareholder with God. 
I heard a pastor say the other day, if God is running 80% of your life, it's still a partnership and he's not Lord. He has no queens in his kingdom. He's the king, right? He has no little princes and princesses in his kingdom. He has children and he's the king. And I know we don't want to hear it because we want him to get up, make our problems go away. But he doesn't want our problems to go away without his grace coming fully in our lives. Man, I want God to cooperate with me. I got some things for him to do. I'm telling you. And I know what's best for me. I'm prolific at living my own life. Don't you believe it? You don't. I mean, listen to what the best and better. I, I, I didn't have um, Dorothy read chapter two, but listen what happens, right? Listen to what happens when God's kingdom comes through our pain and our brokenness, right? God closed her womb. I'm going to say this a few times. To open her broken life up for a God-sized something to come through the cracks, through the tears, through the suffering, through her in a way that if he hadn't closed her womb, she would have never experienced. Now listen to this. Now I'm going to read the message translation because I just like it better and it's easier to hear. This is what chapter 2 says. This is the woman who was broken. Look at what she says. Look what comes through. I am bursting, she says, with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm, I'm laughing at my rivals now. I'm dancing with salvation. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock or mountain like our God. Don't dare talk pretentiously. Not a word of boasting ever. No boasting about your prolificness. For God knows what's going on, she says. He takes the measure of everything that happens. The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces while the weak are infused with fresh strength. The well-fed are, are, are out begging in the streets for crust, while the hungry are getting second helpings. The barren woman, she says, has a house full of children, while the mother of many is bereft. God brings death and God brings life, brings down to the grave and raises up. God brings poverty and God brings wealth. He lowers, he also lifts up. He puts poor people on their feet again. He rekindles burned out lives with fresh hope, restoring dignity and respect to their lives. A place in the sun for the very structures of the earth are God's. He has laid out his operations on a firm foundation. He protectively cares for his faithful friends. Step by step, he leaves the wicked to stumble in the dark. No one makes it in this life by sheer muscle, she says. God's enemies will be blasted out of the sky, crash in a heap and burn. God will set things right all over the earth. He'll give strength to his king, he'll set his anointed one on top of the world. That's chapter two. Do you see what I mean? God gets a prophecy, y'all. Hannah's prayer is scripture now. Hannah's prayer 
is are God's words now, God's very words coming through her, right? It's a testimony. You have in chapter two, a song bigger than Hannah's plea, bigger than her problem. Imagine if she just had kids right away. We would never have chapter two. We would never have a prophecy. We would never have God laying the foundation for the whole book of Samuel. Don't you know that this prayer becomes like the the baseline and the theological rift and context for this whole period of history for Israel? And it becomes like the baseline, right? The, 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 The basics of many of King David's Psalms. And it all came from a woman who suffered without children, who was blessed by grace and not by everything being good and prolific and because every time she prayed it happened but because God closed her life up and shut her life down for a season in this case so that not she but he could open it up for his kingdom possibilities. It is time y'all if you are the Lord's especially if you're going to be the Lord's to see and look at your problems and look at your disasters Look at the things that if somebody finds about, about or know about you, your will, you, their eyes look at you and you automatically think they're like Penny, Penny out now, right? Like they're looking at you with shame. That if you need twice as much help at the church, like the second helping, it just becomes a place of shame. It is time we stop looking at those things as deficiencies and let them be seen as a place by which God's grace and kingdom can flourish for bigger and better than we can ever imagine ourselves. If you want to see God's grace work, follow the broken people in the church around. Do not follow the prolific people, right? If you really want to see God's grace work, follow the people who've been through some mess. Follow the people who walk in here and they need the most help. That's where the prophecy comes, right? That's where God's word finds hope. And I I know this is very hard in a very accomplished group of people that sit in this room. When I look at our education level, you are all very prolific, Most of you, very prolific. And everything in your little life has gone pretty well. And you've been able to manipulate and twist it and make it happen. And let me tell you what God wants to do. He wants to break it to a place where you start living by grace and trust and faith. You you still ain't giving up the crown because your kingdom's running well. Oh, Pastor Brown, I'm scared now because here comes the other shoe. That's not the other shoe. You can't see it. Oh, no, for me to be a good Christian, something's got to fall apart in my life. No. In order for you to really be a, a growing Christian, something good in Christ has to come in your life. Some of y'all real young. It ain't happened yet. Oh, the way things are designed for young people. Oh, my gosh. You think you're prolific for a long time. Man, I made A's, and I went to college, and I got my first job, and oh, I didn't get that job, but I'm young and flexible. I can get another one. You're so prolific. If you're walking with the Lord, soon enough, This isn't one of these grumpy old man things, okay? But soon enough, hopefully, 
you'll have a prayer life that looks like Hannah's, where your heart is praying, where your brokenness is in command of your prayers and not your prolificness. Which means this. In the middle of the problems, in the middle of darkness, in the middle of shame, in the middle of our social and family failure to live up to the hype and what we should and could have accomplished and all of that, that we find hope for our problem through God's kingdom. And we do this when we submit our pain to him. Hannah shows us something in the middle of her distress, doesn't she? Verse 3, and I turned the pages accidentally. In verse 3, says that she went up year after year to worship, right? Then in verse 7, I'm not going to read through all this, she would not eat when she went up to the house of the Lord. Did y'all see that? And then in verse 9 and 10, it talks about um, that Hannah rose after being mistreated in verse 9. And it says that Eli the priest was sitting on a seat before the doorpost of the temple. All right, we're going to get into this a little bit. Um, in, book, in the book like Samuel, in these narratives, little words mean a lot, okay? So Eli sitting means he wasn't doing nothing, okay? That means he wasn't expecting nothing. He wasn't looking for nothing. He just was sitting in the church office, okay? That's what it means. And he was old, and he had, his time was done. And he was also sitting because the sons were doing all the wrong things, but he wasn't actively trying to get them straight. We'll see that next week. But that's how Samuel does. He's sitting, uh-oh, right? And she comes in praying, distressed, right? The, the church is closed, but she's open. Y'all see that? And then drop down to verse 12 through 16. And, and she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard, right? Therefore, Eli what? Thought you drunk. And she says, Hannah answered in verse 15, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I wonder what strong drink is. So you got wine and strong, is that bourbon or something? I just wonder if anybody has an interpretation. Wine, this liquor. Okay, wine and then the ABC store. Okay, moving on. So wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my spirit before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and a word we don't use a lot, vexation. I'm twisted and turned by my pain. I'm paralyzed. I'm stuck. I can feel it in my body. Pain and suffering and the feeling of unfairness or being cheated or looked over, especially as you bring it before the Lord as a believer, let me warn you, it can be a slippery thing, can't it? And I'm talking, to, and some of you who've walked with the Lord longer know what I mean. Most of you in here know just how petrifying and rotten and discouraged you can become when like Hannah, year after year, the same problem the same issue, the same failure, the same unanswered prayers. It, it, it can make you go 
sideways. It can be, make you like Eli. It can make you just sit in the house of the Lord. We'll go back to get back to them. Just going through religious motions. Eli probably put on his church robe, his priest robe, and just sat. God ain't doing nothing no more. I'm just getting paid, just eating some of the meat. The Bible says he was fat because he was sitting and eating, and God wasn't doing anything. Right? We'll get back to that. But you just get up and go about your day now where you're a baron, right? You, you know you're a baron in more ways than what you are praying for, right? Now you are barren of hope, right? You're barren of desperation where your pain has now calcified and become a hard cancer and deposit of something you no longer are in touch with or hope for. You don't want to be there. That's where Israel was as a nation. Hannah stays in touch with her pain. Y'all, and most importantly, she keeps pressing and bringing her distress and disappointment and desperation into God's presence. She keeps her, her heart awake and alive, not by getting what she wants. Or that, she, I'm fine. How many times? How you doing? I'm fine, right? But by continually pouring, the Bible says, out her fears, her disappointments. Some of us have turned a strong drink, right? We are praying drunk. Right? We're, we're praying in that bottle. We, we're praying through that bottle because we're, we're, we're so bound in our pain, right? By continuing pouring out our fears, disappointments to the Lord, that she lets it move her. She lets it vex her. She recognizes her brokenness not away in an anger towards the Lord, but into and towards the Lord. Okay, we're all taught. I mean, I feel it. <laughs> Don't let them see you broken. I live this life every day. And I'm real proud. I'm real guilty of it. My greatest fear, right, is getting some coffee and spilling it at the coffee shop. Because I'm shameful. What's wrong with you? Why your coffee all spilled on you, right? And then people, are you okay? No, leave me alone. I'm fine. <laughs> I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be vexed. I would rather be hard than vexed. I'd rather be numb than vexed. Because numbness means I can still come out on top. I can still look good, especially to my, my people at work and my neighbors and my friends. Let me tell you, I, I was putting up some lights, Christmas lights, and that ladder was shaking. And the only thing I worried about, not even my own pain, breaking a leg. What if my neighbor sees me? I'm afraid that Penny now lives, right? I don't know what is dried up in your heart, crusted over in you today, that God may have intended for his good, for his kingdom promise. But it is time to once again prepare and break open that dried up heart. Your spiritual womb, open it up for his work by bringing your pain to his solution and not trying to comfort it or fix it on your own or doing right in your own eyes or like Elkanah giving a double portion despising that thing about yourself. And I have to say this, sometimes we live with this inner penina, don't we? That voice, that person, 
that constantly seeks to shame you for not being what you should be, for not being what you dream of. There's always a second you, right? The, the sinful you. And then if it's not you, it's, it's Satan, right? The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the people of God. Look at you. God don't love you. Stop praying. Stop caring. Stop worrying. Get over it. Look at you, snotting up and crying. You're ashamed to be around. Some of you have let the broken friendship thing die in you. It's all kind of broken stuff. Some of you hate yourself for that thing you failed in. Some of us have become cynical and harsh and yeah, right about the whole Lord thing. Some of you hate the Lord right now for not doing like you thought or were wrongly taught to think he should. It is time to weep again. Weep anew. Seek the Lord anew. Let that pain make your heart cry and speak, Lord, help me. Fall apart a little bit. Because the Bible teaches that when believers pray, their hearts, the Bible says the Holy Spirit groans within and for them perfectly before God. That the Holy Spirit and God's word, the Bible, right? This finds perfect pitch to harmonize with your notes of brokenness and dismay. We must let God's word and spirit and other, other regular means of grace, or prayer and, and coming to the, the, the worship service and, and, and taking the Lord's Supper. Like we must let, those, let, must let those things speak and express the groanings. We must submit that pain before the Lord like Hannah did as a heart sacrifice in the presence of God. Do you know what David came and wrote? And I wonder if he knew about the story of Hannah. He said, what? Lord, you don't delight in sacrifices. She was at the place you sacrificed. What do you delight in, Lord? A broken and contrite heart. A heart that has been torn open and asunder by the Lord and for the Lord. What we see in that by closing Hannah's wound, God opened her hands and her prayer life and heart to let go of her pain and then receive, hear this, the gift of his plan. Look again, look at verse 10 through 11. So she's praying and the Bible says she was deeply distressed and praying to the Lord and wept bitterly. Man, when you're really praying for the Lord and you're expressing some true pain, crazy things happen, right? Like the Holy Spirit makes you do things. Like last week's sermon, grace made me do it. So here we go, right? He says she, she, she was weeping bitterly and she vowed a vow. Uh-oh. And said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Nazarene vow, right? You don't cut your hair. Right? You don't eat certain things. And then in verse 16, as she uh, interacts with, with the priest, right? She says, um, do not regard your servant, verse 16, as a worthless woman. I'm not drunk, I'm vexed. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. 
They rose early the family morning and worshiped for the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked the Lord for him. And then the rest of the Bible says she follows through, verse 21 through 28. She follows through and she weans him. Um, and, and back then, they would nurse apparently till three years old. And then that's when she took him to the temple to be given over to Eli to work there. Do you know what the regular accepted purpose for a woman to have a child back then? I just said it, right? To continue the family line, to serve the family, farm a fortune, to care for his parents in their own age, to give joy to the mother during her growing years, to be parented and raised in the ways of the family. But Hannah submits her pain and then her plans to God's plan in this vow to give her son Samuel, right? That means he's going to live at a temple three or four hours away from her. This is significant because the Bible teaches, according to Old Testament covenant, that the firstborn belongs to God, right? That's part of the Bible and must be given or redeemed to God. And usually they would take a sacrifice in the place of or a substitute offering and the child was able to go home with the parent. They'd present it to the priest. They'd bring some type of lamb or bull or something. They'd sacrifice the bull and say, all right, that's a substitute for your firstborn. Take your firstborn home, do what you want. You can live with y'all. Do something. And, and so she's giving when she says, keep the firstborn, take him as a free will offering along with the other sacrifices. That's what she's doing. Do something bigger through me. Take my son. I submit my plans for your kingdom. I give all my deepest hopes and everything I've dreamed for, for your good, Lord. What we see is that our problems and our pain and find, and our pain find hope and solution only when we submit our plan, our kingdom, taking off our crown and how we have decided and even how we have decided to fix and comfort ourselves and give it to the Lord. Let me say this again. God closed her womb. He let an issue, a problem in so that she would be able to open something only God could do to then be able to open her hand, give her pain, and give the plan of her life to God, and only then receive what only God could give. Like Hannah, many of you are given and submit your life to Jesus, to the Lord, because the Lord has broken and caused your heart to be broken in ways that made you open and willing and weak and holding on to your own plans. Look at verse one in chapter two real quick. And Hannah prayed, this is the prayer, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And then jump down to verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Y'all, Hannah was free 
and move to give her son. The Bible says to lend her son, meaning that he would not be sacrificed on the altar. She gave her heart in her son. She gave her will in her son. She gave her life uh, in her son to the Lord only because she recognized that God would give the life of his son. His king, as verse 10 says as a substitute sacrifice and give her and the world a king that would make all that is broken and evil undone and redeemed. Hannah had kingdom vision that believed and knew that the Lord would not only give grace for what she had given, but way more than what she had submitted to the Lord because of the narrative of the story, right? The, sto- the course of her suffering and suffrage, right? We are called to submit, to give our lives, to give our hopes, to give our dreams, to give our successes, to give our careers, to give our value relationships, to give our pleasures, everything to the Lord to receive and for God to give us and to us what is not, hear me, humanly measurable. But as the Bible says, to do in us immeasurably above more and more above anything we could ever ask or think. Here's the good and amazing news for you and me. The Lord no longer wants you and me to live in the limitations and broken possibilities, not only of our pain, but our plan. But in the eternal promises of the pain and plan of our King, Jesus Christ. People of God, the Lord no longer wants you to live barren or prolific, religious or self-healed, but by the amazing grace that his son was crowned to bring. It all happened and happens through our suffering and our suffrage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. It's by grace we're saved, not by works. I pray for us because there are many of us here, culturally and in families. We're the hope of our family. And so many of us, as far as our families are concerned and the world's concerned, we're barren. We didn't turn out like everybody thought we should have turned out the way we wanted to turn out. Life has not turned out the way we thought. Lord, look at us. Broken. Many of us living under shame. Many of us taking our pain and burying it. I pray right now, like you did, Hannah, visit our pain and our suffering with your grace. For us prolific ones in the room, gifted and talented and able to get around their failures and shortcomings, oh Lord, I pray mercy for us. As our lives turn toward experiencing your grace and love beyond works, beyond being prolific, but about you being prolific, as we go through this, these books, Lord, 
I pray that you would help us to see it. As we read these books on our own, help us to see that the, the Lord uses really small and broken and messed up things for his glory, including us. Do this for us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.